Hey, before the show starts, we want to let you know that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's annual conference, Cyber Marketing Con 2022, will be held this year, November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia. And yes, there will also be a virtual option. You really don't want to miss it. We'll have two days jam-packed with cybersecurity marketing strategies, ideas, metrics, insights. It's going to be the place to be. Visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and click on conference to grab your ticket. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello and welcome to another amazing, spectacular, stupendous, fulfilling, life-affirming episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna. And I'm Maria. And today we have an esteemed guest. We have Ross Halyuk. He's the Director of Product at Lima Charlie, and he has a bunch of other accolades, which he said we don't have to list. Well, I'm going to mention a few. He's an advisor at Loyal VC. He's a VC fellow at Included VC. He's a writer for TechCrunch, and he does a lot of other stuff too. You'll have to check out his LinkedIn after the show. Ross, we're so excited to have you here. Yeah, excited to be here. Just a tiny correction. I'm a guest writer at TechCrunch, so I'm not a staff. I'm just asking them to publish some stuff that I think is cool. (laughs) So nobody send him any fundraise news, press releases, or any of that. Not going to happen. Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) Good clarification. All right. So Ross, you're here to talk about PLG, about product to illuminate us or elucidate us. I don't know what the word is, but for the uninformed here, what is PLG? What the heck is that that everyone's talking about? Yeah, I mean, PLG, I guess there are two ways to explain it. One is to say that PLG is this new cool thing which is going to change your life. It's going to revolutionize the way you do business and blah, blah, blah. Like all the buzzwords that you can hear in the industry. But on a more serious note, PLG is a business strategy which really positions the product as the main driver for customer acquisition, for revenue growth, for retention, engagement, and so on. So when you think about tech startups, traditionally, marketing would drive the leads on the top of the funnel. And then sales team was the main driver of the revenue, just taking those leads and guiding them through the whole sales process. And then later on, once the deal would close, the sales and customer support would be in charge of the retention and making sure that the customers are happy. So while all of those functions are super, super, super important at the PLG company, the key is that at product-led companies, product becomes the driver of the revenue and retention. So it's product that fosters those engagements with customers. It's product that builds the relationship. It's product that allows people to make it super easy to experience value, to start paying, and so on. So the acronym there is product-led growth. And Ross, would you say that product in a PLG-focused company is kind of taking on the role of sales and customer success? the product actually is doing that? Or you think there's more nuance than that? Oh, there is definitely much more nuance than that. So one thing that is definitely valuable and super critical to say is that Product-led growth requires all the digital-facing teams within the company, whether it's marketing, design, product, customer success, and others, to kind of rally around the customer journey so that the business can provide an innovative and really personalized product experience. So sales are incredibly important. Marketing is incredibly important. Product does not replace them. It just changes in a way 
their role. It shapes the focus of the sales and marketing a bit different, but those two teams, they're there, they're incredibly valuable, and they're definitely not being replaced. Awesome. Another quick question about like, what is PLG? I have heard that PLG means that you essentially have an always on version of your product that people can ask access for free. So think of Asana, which you can use forever for free up to a certain amount of users and you get hooked. And then because you love Asana, I love Asana and Asana, please marry me. Please give us money. Please do something with our podcast. (laughs) And then eventually there's also like the paid version of it, right? Would you say that a function of PLG to be a true PLG focused company, you have to have that free version? Not necessarily. The way I see it, PLG is more of a mindset than it is a specific feature of the product or a specific way to sell the product. So because it is more of a mindset, it's not always easy to say, looking from the outside in, what company is pursuing the PLG. However, it's super easy to say which companies are not. So whenever you see that a company is hiding their pricing, whenever you see the company requires people to attend a mandatory demo before they can experience the product, whenever you see that there is no way for the potential customer to try before they buy, you can be super confident whatever they're doing is not PLG. Having said that, the freemium model is not a necessity. The part that is incredibly important is that a potential customer has the ability to try the product before they start paying for it, before they purchase. And so one form of doing it could be offering a limited free trial. It is a different approach. Having said that, the people are still able to experience the product before they put in their credit card and sign up long term. So yes, having a way to experience it on a freemium, such as what Asana does. And by the way, I'm also a fanboy of Asana. I love their product. I'm using it myself. Not just because it is PLG. It's just an awesome product. And I'm actually using a free version too. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, you bring up a good point about the unlimited free trial. And I think most cybersecurity companies, at least the ones that are probably thinking PLG, would be more comfortable doing that versus anything else that's like completely freemium. I see what you mean. I would probably rephrase it a tiny bit. In my mind, it's not so much a matter of comfort as it is a matter of understanding of the customer. You see, when you're offering a free version of the product, before you go there, before you start offering the free version of the product, you truly need to understand what does the customer need, what are their pain points, and what are they willing to pay for? Because if you don't do it the right way, there is a potential for you to just give out a free product and realize that, well, all of those extra features which we deem to be a pay tier are not actually that useful and people can totally get by by just using the free version of the product. So it's a bit more nuanced. It's just like before getting into this freemium model, you truly want to make sure that you understand like what are those points that are going to trigger the customer to upgrade. Otherwise, you might just end up with a free product, which is not the goal. You might end up with Zoom, which is right now, it's July 2022 right now, and they've ratcheted down on the free meetings and the free unlimited minutes. And now even a meeting between two people has a time cap to it. And when several months ago, it was like only meetings of three and more have a time cap on it. So you might have to do some ratcheting down. Otherwise, like you said, you do have a free product. (laughs) Exactly. And it's interesting, like the psychology of those changes is incredibly interesting because people respond much better to being given something than to have something taken away from them. So if Zoom did not give those abilities to begin with, you would feel less bad than you feel now when you look at Zoom and it's like, oh, 
they're really trying to force me to pay. Like they're really making it hard for me to use the product for free. That's interesting. As humans, if you take something away, it's like, oof, I feel that a lot more than if you gave me a gift. So PLG, we just gave two examples, Zoom, Asana, both are just regular B2B tech, which is not what this podcast is about because we're in cybersecurity and cybersecurity is different. So how is PLG different in CyberRoss? And you've written a lot about PLG and cyber. We'll link to your articles in the show notes. Tell us a little bit more about PLG and cyber. What are you seeing? How is it different? Yeah, that is an interesting question. I think there are a couple of factors that come into play. One is cybersecurity is fairly new as a discipline. Historically, security has always been as a part of IT and therefore did not really have a seat at the table. The reason this is important to understand is because the product-led growth requires that an individual contributors are empowered to make the purchasing decisions. They're empowered to try different products. They're empowered to try different solutions to the problems they're experiencing. They're empowered to bring their own ideas to the table and suggest what could be a good fit for their specific use cases. The problem is, it's pretty hard to do when security does not have a strong champion in the form of, let's just say, CISO or a director or a VP of security. When you don't have a strong presence at the leadership level, it's hard to empower the security professionals, like the individual contributors, to come forward with those ideas and to even do the research and suggest some solutions on their own. Secondly, there is definitely a challenge of sharing data. You mentioned Asana. When you wanted to try Asana, how did you do it? Well, what I did, I went in, I created an account, added a couple of tasks, and off to the races. Like, now I'm using Asana. It's simple, right? With a cybersecurity tool, well, you have to install it on your company's network, or you have to install it on the cloud, or you have to install it somewhere else. Of course, the technical professional can get something set up in their home lab, but at the end of the day, after they've tested the tool, after they confirmed that, yes, it does what it says it does, we can give it a shot, you now need to go through the more traditional purchasing process because it's your company's data that is getting into that tool. In fact, it's the most sensitive data that is going to get into that tool. So traditionally, in many other fields, let's take productivity apps since we're talking about Asana, there is this idea of lending and expanding. Like two people in marketing adopted Asana and one person in accounting. And then Asana sales team can start approaching those people and saying, hey, you know what? How about we get your whole company on board? It doesn't always work the same way with cybersecurity because the dynamics is very different. You can't have one security engineer adopt a tool that is going to collect the company's data and then spread it around. The way the purchasing decisions are made is different. And lastly, there is also the process of understanding value. So in order for a PLG product to be adopted, the customer needs to understand what is the value the product offers. When I think about cybersecurity and the concept of time to value and the concept of product value in cybersecurity, I think about two categories of products. There are products that solve a very specific, narrowly defined problem for a security professional. Let's just say I want to store passwords. There is like one password. Or I want to automate workflows. There is Simplify, there is Tines, there are a bunch of other products. So when you're solving this specific problem in security, you can quantify the value, you can measure the value. However, many products in the industry fall under the very broad category of 
making somebody safe. So I'm going to install this tool and it's going to keep my company safe. For those specific products, it's incredibly hard to measure value. If I can interrupt here for a second, for all of us listening who work at cybersecurity companies, both product companies and services companies, I mean, we are all charged with when we sell our product, you know, our product is theoretically going to keep people safe in that high arching level or keep companies safe or keep data safe or something. Cause that's the end sort of reason why we will buy our products unless they're trying to reduce work or whatever. So what are some companies you think that are in that more broader, keep people safe as opposed to like the tineses of the world? That is a good question. Like, frankly, there are tons. I will name two companies that are falling under the PLG bucket. Again, they're fairly young. They're cybersecurity startups, super active, great product line companies. So there is a company I was looking at the other day called Blue Mira. And there is... We know Blue Mira. We know them. Oh, yeah. So either Blue Mira or companies like Malwarebytes, any EDR kind of product, the endpoint detection and response kind of product, essentially says like, hey, install us and we will do the work for you. The challenge with those kind of products is that how do you say if it's working? How do you measure if it's working? If you haven't been breached, is it because nobody tried to do it? Is it because the product is so good that it stopped it? Did you just get lucky? So it's the value that becomes incredibly hard to measure. To be clear, hard does not mean impossible. Still, companies are very smart and product people and marketing people at those companies are incredibly smart people. They are making an effort to surface the metrics related to what the specific product is doing and so on. Having said that, it's still not always easy to answer a question. Do we really need this product? Would we be better off not having it at all? Would we be at the same place? Like, it's hard because the problem of security and keeping somebody secure is so generic and so broad. And for that reason, the time to value is a much harder metric to crack. Having said that, I do also want to call out that, yes, there are some factors that make it harder for cybersecurity startups to adopt the PLG model. Having said that, there are also so many reasons to actually do it. Like, for example, we have been seeing that the traditional sales channels in the industry are incredibly expensive and they're getting more expensive every single day. Like companies who have been selling... Exactly. Listeners can't see, but I'm doing the money dance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like companies in the industry who have been selling to CISOs are finding it harder and harder to get a meeting, to get like an invite-only event going, to get a conference, to get some sort of a dinner organized. It's becoming much more expensive. Then there is this the vendor overload issue. When the security leadership at every company is being pitched five to 700 security products every single year. So getting through that shield is becoming much harder. Investors are understanding that and they're also looking for new ideas. I was talking to a friend the other day who works at a venture firm and I'm hearing that one of the main reasons they turn down cybersecurity startups is their go-to-market strategy. If a startup comes in and says, oh, we've got this cool product, we're just going to get the CISO into a demo and sell it, it's often an automatic no, because it's hard, like it's genuinely hard to get somebody's attention. We are seeing that individual contributors in the industry are becoming more able and more encouraged to recommend different solutions. And lastly, the marketing budgets in the industry are super high. And that's where I would actually love to hear from you. What are you seeing from the marketing standpoint that could potentially be a factor encouraging the adoption of the PLG? I mean, 
the ever so growing sales cycle. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's like immediately what I could think of. And there's a lot of like really weird dynamics happening with this new mixed funnel and the dark social and all of these things. And it's getting even more and more confusing in terms of, okay, this is going to be our growth strategy and it's going to work because there's so many, it depends that adding a little bit of PLG sprinkle into that funnel could actually help you while you figure out, okay, is this more inbound or is this more outbound? Or I think in my opinion, yeah, why not? You can consider it an experiment, right? If it's not going to cost you too much on the dev or product side, and if your leadership team is open to it, yeah, why not? I'd add in that it's about the buyer experience too. So the frictionless buyer experience, like you said, Ross, and like you mentioned, Maria, like breaking through that noise is so difficult now, even with this market downturn, which is also another reason I think PLG could be a good thing because we're all not all of us, but some of us will have less budget to work with to pay for these very expensive traditional channels. I think that the buyer experience can be better using a PLG focus because nobody has to talk to sales, basically. And one thing would be if you really believe your product is super cool and you have all the metrics and everything set up right to track it. And like you said, Ross, if it can prove that it solves a problem or it does solve a problem, then that is a reason to explore it. I mean, Botero is going to be thinking about this. It's in the roadmap. I don't know how much I could say about it, but it's in the roadmap. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a very good point. And you mentioned two parts that I would definitely like to expand on. So you mentioned the economic downturn. And that one is incredibly interesting because one of the things that PLG does really, really well is driving the cost of revenue as close to zero as possible. Because the access to product is not gated, because the person can get started without having to talk to anybody, it forces the company to ensure that the cost of infrastructure is low, that the cost of providing that free service is low. And it also means that you're essentially saving money on sales. And it doesn't mean that sales is taken out of the picture. But what it does mean is sales in the PLG model is focusing on the parts, like on the kind of customers that are more likely to yield positive returns. If a company that has 500 people adopted the product, like the freemium version of the product in one of their departments with only five people using it, it means that the sales team can now approach them and have a conversation potentially about expanding the five people deployment into the 500 people deployment. The sizing of the opportunities becomes easier. It's not about PLG replacing and taking sales out of the equation. It's about PLG making it easier for sales team to focus on the high ticket items as opposed to just taking care of everything and anything under the sun. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. Ross, I have one more question because earlier you said that a lot of 
security products deal with interoperability of data, right? You're plugging in a security tool. It's going to connect into your email. It's going to connect into the web browsers of your employees. It's going to connect into your cloud environment. I'm curious your opinion on this because, and also we'll link to this in the show notes. There was just an article that came out by Tech Target did a survey and they were saying that ease of install and ease of integration is really important to security professionals. So I have this thought in my head, this like conundrum. You want to make your product PLG, but in order for it to work, it has to connect to things in your customer's environments. How do you get over that hump? Because I assume, or I think, not having done PLG myself yet, that maybe there's a pushback from the security folks because they're like, we don't want to connect. We don't know you. Like this is the analyst wants to install this as this thing, but we don't know that. And that's a security risk. Like, how do you get around that from PLG perspective? That is a great question. And frankly, I don't think there is an easy catch-all answer to that question. Having said that, there are definitely some things that can work and that do work. An example would be giving people access to the test data whenever they create their account. You're getting started with a new security tool. You don't necessarily want to get your production data funneled into that tool. Maybe there is some dummy data that can be preloaded into the product itself that you can start exploring to understand how it works. That's probably one of the easier things to try. On the other hand, making it easier for people to trust, like getting them over that initial hump. So client testimonials, things like SOC2 reports and similar, making it all easy to access. Like I was looking at the Cloudflare the other day. And guess what? In their UI, you can go to the compliance section and actually download all of their compliance documents, including their SOC2 report. I know the majority of the companies make you request their SOC2 report. Cloudflare does not do it. You get it all in the UI. Like They're 100% transparent about their security posture and their compliance when it comes to that. So taking steps to show that, yes, you are open, Yes, you are honest about your security posture. You're honest about the degree of care with which you handle the customer's data. And you are there. Other people and other companies already trust you. Yeah, and just reducing the barriers to somebody else to even get their data in. Like this is totally outside of the PLG per se, but so many security companies make it incredibly hard to get the data out of their tool. Like the vendor lock-in in this industry is real. Like so many companies are trying to make sure that, oh, only vendors who are a part of our ecosystem can send us the data, can receive the data from us. That is not where I personally believe the future of this industry is going to lie. And yes, there are no shortcuts. There is a need to change. There is a strong need to change. Like the vendor lock-in should not be a thing. Like we all benefit, not just from the PLG standpoint, but we all as an industry benefit when companies have full control over what tools they can try, what tools they can install, what data they can send and where, and so on. So many of us in marketing are either working in this traditional one funnel model, right, of let's get the leads in, let's nurture them and get them to sales. How does that change with PLG? And how do you even do attribution in terms of like, whether it was marketing sourced or sales sourced, if they're coming and converting on the website, creating an account, and then the sales team is expanding them, what is the attribution there? That is a very interesting question. One thing that the PLG definitely makes easier is to get people to experience the value quicker. And once they can get to this aha moment, it becomes much, much easier for them to get 
down the purchasing journey and actually adopt the product? Like when it comes to the attribution, like tell me more. Like what do you think having an open product would make harder? And I guess, what are the challenges about it? So in my mind, ultimately, what we're all trying to accomplish is to get more people use the product, start paying for using the product, and so on and so forth. It matters less if it's a result that can easily be attributed to marketing versus the result that can easily be attributed to sales. In my mind, at least, like... Yeah. I mean, I'm with you there. 100%. The mindset is aligned. However, you'd be surprised how many companies, how many sales teams, how many leadership teams actually don't understand that this is the healthier way of looking at it and are very much in this super tunnel vision of silos of inbound and outbound that they don't actually give the chance for an amazing idea for PLG to actually take place and be born. I don't know. I don't know if it's like an ownership thing. I have no idea what would be the issue in not thinking this way. But I always wondered like with PLG, for those that are so adamant to know what's what and who brought in what, how would it even work? I think it comes back to the conversation to where we've started, essentially. What PLG is, is a mindset, is a business mindset, is the organizational mindset. And PLG being organizational mindset means that it is a mindset that has to be shared across the company. We cannot talk about product-led growth and changing the way products are bought and sold in the industry where If you look at the company, you have a sales team that works in a silo. You have a marketing team that has its own metrics. And those metrics are created and tracked without the consideration for kind of a bigger picture. You cannot have a product team that goes entirely in a different direction and it's totally misaligned. Like you have to have it all brought together. And so that's where the question of leadership, that's where the question of alignment comes in. What does not work, and I have seen it at some companies, what definitely doesn't work is hiring a bunch of product managers with the background building PLG products and just saying, okay, our company is now going in PLG. It does not work that way. If you don't have the buy-in from the highest levels of leadership, if you don't have the buy-in from the sales team, if they feel threatened, If people in marketing feel threatened, you will never be able to accomplish anything, especially if you're talking about the larger organization. It's easier in a smaller startup because you've got a couple of people you can bring all together, have a quick and transparent conversation. It does not work at the large enterprise because for them, it is a monumental change to the way they've done their business for years and often decades. It is not an overnight change and it's not a change that can happen by just saying, okay, starting tomorrow, we will be looking at different metrics and we are going PLG. There is a lot of internal alignment. There are many hard conversations that have to happen. And also, realistically speaking, it has to make sense from the business standpoint. Like PLG is not a cure-all. It is not this magic thing. It is not one of those like buzzwords. I mean, it is a buzzword at this point. It's like zero trust in security. Like you go to any conference and everybody's talking about zero trust. You go to any conference about product and marketing and everybody is talking about PLG. But not enough people understand what product-led growth is. What if you do hire those product managers that have experience with PLG 
And alongside, you hire a hypnotist to take care of the skeptical leadership <laughs> and the threatened sales team and the threatened marketing team. And there, boom, you have a, a successful PLG strategy. <laughs> Maybe. You see, I'm a skeptic by nature and I like to take empirical approach. So I believe it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to add a line item for a magician. No, I'm going to add a line item for hypnotist on yeah. my budget for 2023. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a very critical hire when you're making the pivot to field. <laughs> <laughs> so, Roz, yes, of course, it's a change in mindset and all of that. But I imagine there is a change of set of metrics, too, that you're going to have to start looking at. Walk us through how those metrics actually are either different or they're similar ones to the traditional marketing funnel. Yeah, when I think about metrics, I like to think about the fundamentals and thinking about the customer journey, how it all breaks down from the first principles into the specific items that we can measure. So talking about the metrics, I think about the fundamental questions that we need to answer, whether we are implementing PLG or not. Are people signing up for our product? Let's talk about the conversion and see maybe there are some challenges that we need to dig into there. Maybe there is a question around positioning. Maybe people don't understand what the value proposition is. Maybe they don't understand what the pricing is. The other fundamental question is, are people able to experience the value quickly? So then one of the key metrics in a PLG product is the time to value. The amount of time it takes for the customer to reach their aha moment, like to reach this activation event when they realize, oh, this is what the value of the product is. I see it now. This is how it works. Yeah, like this works for me. And then there is definitely metrics around the product qualified leads. People who have completed the key action within the product that makes them realize the value and makes them realize that, yes, I've experienced this. I am now ready to start using the product. Like this is the warmest lead you will ever get. A person who have tried the product who looked at what it does and said, hell yeah, this works for me. Like, this is what I'm here for. And the value is, how do you measure that? Is it like the number of projects that they created? Is it the number of users that they invited? I mean, it's going to depend, of course, on the product. But let's say your product, you have to create a project in order to do something or a dashboard or whatever. Is that how you would kind of measure the value? The way I would measure the value is by looking at the key event that the person needs to do in order for them to realize that the product does what it claims to do. In some cybersecurity companies, it would require them to install an agent or a sensor on the endpoint and to see that, that first detection coming in or to see that first alert coming in or to see that first Slack message coming in. So it's that point in time when you've configured the most basic flaw, which allows you to experience something within the product. And when you experience that something, you're like, oh, this is how it is. So if the product is promising, let's just say, a human readable alerts in Slack, which pop up whenever a person clicks on an email they're not supposed to click, then the first time somebody gets that email and they look at it, they understand what it does, they understand how it works, they click on it, then somebody on the product side is able to see it show up at the dashboard or somewhere else. It's that aha moment that they're like, oh, this is how it works. It's going to vary from one product to another. And that's why, you see, one of the challenges VSPLG is the need for people to truly understand what does the customer need. Building a PLG product requires an incredibly deep knowledge of the customer's needs, motivations, expectations, and everything else that drives the purchasing decisions. 
all of that is only possible when you have empowered product teams who are capable of having the conversations, who are capable of doing the customer research. All of that can only happen when product and marketing and sales all work together so that they're sharing the insights, they're sharing their learnings. All of that can only happen when there is the mindset of continuous discovery, where we are not just making assumptions and running on those assumptions, but instead we are probing the assumptions, we are asking powerful questions, we are talking to people, we are listening more than we talk, we understand the user needs, we can anticipate the changes in the customer behavior and the consumer expectations. Only when we are doing the fundamentals that make good product managers, good product managers, good product marketers, good product marketers, only when we are doing those essential fundamental things that make us good at what we do, can we talk about improving and can we talk about implementing the product-led growth in a company? Talking about the metrics, are people increasing their usage? Are people paying for the product? How much are they paying? Let's talk about the expansion revenue. Let's talk about the revenue generated from the existing customers by upsells, cross-sells, add-ons, and so on. Let's talk about the average revenue per customer, the customer lifetime value, an incredibly important metric for the product-led growth company. Like how much revenue is your business going to get from this single customer over the duration of their relationship with the company? A number of other things, like are people coming back to the product? Let's look at the daily active users. Let's look at the monthly active users. Let's look at retention. Are they leaving? Let's look at churn. Let's look at the reasons for that churn. So when we're talking about the metrics, measuring the numbers is important. But what is also critical is understanding the drivers for each of those numbers, like digging deeper, having the conversations. If you're thinking about the sales cycle, doing that win-loss analysis in the end to truly understand, like, why did this customer not adopt the product? The general answers are It's either the price that's not right or the features that are missing. But digging deeper, obviously digging deeper to understand underlying reasons. So metrics, like honestly, when it comes to picking specific metrics and numbers to use, if you just go to Google and search like PLG metrics, you will find tons of articles highlighting the specific components that can be measured. I think what's more important than picking the metric is understanding the why are we measuring this? Like, what are we measuring? Like, it's easy to track the daily active users, but why is the daily active users metric significant for your specific business? They're the kind of products where a customer is only going to be logging in once a month. So daily active users metric might not even be relevant for your specific product. So it's, you have to understand your product, you have to understand your customer, and based on that, make the decision around what metrics to track. And I imagine that you need more of an education internally on the why versus the which metric, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it's as with anything in life, like if you know what constraints are impacting your decision making, if you know what you're trying to optimize for, then making a specific decision is much, much easier. And it's much harder on the other hand, when you have no idea, when you're looking at the thing and you're saying, well... We have to increase our sales. Where do we start? It's like, well, start by looking at the fundamentals. What is the product you're selling? How are you selling it? Who is your customer? What does their buying journey look like? Where do they drop? Let's then start looking at the metrics and optimizing it. Well, I think we just took our grad course in PLG and now we can all go away with a few things we could possibly hypnotize our sales team and leadership team and convince them to do PLG. What do you say, Gianna? I think we definitely did. This has been so fun, Ross. 
it's been so great to have you there. I think we have one very last question before we go into our game, because our game, that's our real final question. But do you think we have the right talent? There's a lot of demand for PLG and PLG positions and PLG and cyber. Do you have the right talent to execute? I will say what I first think that, yes, I think we do have the right talent because anyone who listens to this podcast will have just completed their MS and PLG. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good question. Like my answer is definitely yes, if you do have the right talent. The fundamental problem is that security companies have to be willing to start hiring outside of their comfort zone. First, hire people outside of security. We do know that security products are less user-friendly than products in other industries. We know that most of the products in the industry are traditional, are old-fashioned. And the problem is the requirement for cybersecurity experience doesn't do any good for our industry. If you choose to only hire people with cybersecurity experience, you're essentially limiting your options to people who have worked in those huge old-fashioned enterprises you're trying to disrupt. So do you think they will pivot into a small company and start innovating in your startup without having done it anywhere before? So hire people outside of cybersecurity. Hire people outside of B2B. Like, yes, the majority of the companies we are talking about are B2B enterprises, but B2B enterprises as of today are at least two to five years behind when it comes to customer expectations. Think about it from this perspective. Let's think about the B2C experience. If it takes you 15 minutes from the moment you download an app on your phone, sign up for that app, place an order and get your food delivered, all of that can be accomplished in 15 minutes. How can you then sit down and wait for three weeks before you can get access to the cybersecurity product. (laughs) That's great. That's a good point. How can we make our products more like DoorDash or Uber? Exactly. Well, how do we do it? We hire people who come with different experiences. Like we hire people who come from B2C, who come from different fields. We change our hiring patterns. I'm seeing this changing. Like I'm looking at the Marketing Society Slack channel and it's incredible to see people coming from so many different backgrounds. I can't imagine that even being the case like five years ago. So the industry is changing and we need to do more of it in marketing, in product. Hire people outside of the comfort zone. Hire people outside of what you're used to. Awesome. All right, Ross, thank you for the plug for the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, by the way. Anyone who wants to be in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, Visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and there is a join or apply link at the top of the page. And you can come hang out with me, Maria, Ross, and a bunch of other people and talk about the fun, crazy world of cybersecurity marketing. So Ross, we're going to jump into our game and let's make it quick because I'm just aware of the time here. Basically, we're both going to guess what you would be if you weren't doing what you are doing today, which is like venture capital and product and like smart thinking. So I think you would be a basketball coach, Maria. Oh, I could see the personality there. I'm actually going another route. Uh, I'd say maybe like a radio show host. Okay, Ross, which of us was closer? Definitely not the basketball coach. I think I would totally go for the radio piece. Maybe, maybe a podcast host. Who knows? Maybe after this conversation, I will rethink my plans. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, what you're doing today is your passion. It sounds like you are passionate about it. But if you were not doing it today, what would you rather be doing? I think I would still stay around tech. I would still stay around startups, maybe venture capital, maybe operations, 
I don't know. Honestly, no idea. I feel like I fell in love with product. So maybe I could totally be doing marketing. Who knows? <laughs> but it would definitely be something around tech and startups and very likely cybersecurity. Love it. Love how noble and loyal you are to your current passion. <laughs> Ross, where can people reach you if, if you're open to being contacted? LinkedIn is definitely the place. I'm not active on Twitter. I've created an account before Elon Musk was planning to buy it, but I never became active, but LinkedIn is definitely the place, yes. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. We've loved having you here. Everyone who listened to all the things that we mentioned that will be linked to in the show notes will be in the show notes. And if you want to be on Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing, send an email to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for tuning in.